If you've ever played sports at any kind of level, junior high, high school, college, whatever, you know that when you lose a game that you felt like you should have won, that is the most painful kind of loss. It's one thing to get blown out. You can accept that. Hey, that team is better than us. When you lose a game, a close game, a game that you feel like you were the better team or that you very much could have won, those are the losses that will stick with you for a long, long time. This is the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. And Penn State's loss to Ohio State on Saturday is going to stick with the Nittany Lions and the fans for a long, 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 long time. And for James Franklin. You know, we went into the game kind of knowing what Penn State was. Great defense, questions on offense, best roster James Franklin has ever had at Penn State. And so a lot of people, myself included, gave Penn State the benefit of the doubt that if not now, then when would they ever beat Ohio State? Then you go into the game, their potential first-round receiver, Emeka Abuka, not playing. Starting running back, Travion Henderson, not playing. And, and you know, some other injuries. And you you think to yourself, wow, Penn State's got every every opportunity here. And then the offense goes out and plays one of the worst games you'll ever see. And it was just abysmal and atrocious. So as we kind of digest it here, the, the number one thing that I, I just wanted to point out is I think that Penn State's players, James Franklin, the assistant coaches, feel deep down in their hearts they let that get away, that that was a winnable game. They did beat Ohio State in 2016 on a crazy finish. 2017, they blew it after a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. But for these players, this group, this team, they have to feel like that was a winnable game that they had every opportunity to make something very special happen. And they blew it. And that's a difficult thing in sports to grasp, especially for, you know, younger people, college people. I, I was looking this up. I've, I've gone back to this every now and then. It's called the seven stages of grief. Many of you may know what this is. A lot of you don't. I, I've always thought this kind of holds true for college football. Uh, and when you lose a game like this, the first stage is denial. I can't believe they lost that game. I, I can't believe Penn State lost that game. I mean, that was just atrocious. Second stage is anger. You're pissed off. How in the hell did Penn State lose that game? That is freaking ridiculous. James Franklin is terrible. Blah, 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 blah. There's the anger part. Bargaining is the third one. You kind of just come to grips a little bit. Then depression. Then you... You know, finally, acceptance is one of those last one. And so th- there are seven and, and, and that th- those are those are parts parts of it. But acceptance is kind of the the last one. And I just wonder if Penn State's players, James Franklin, you, the fans will ever accept that loss. You know, I, I think they're going to lose to Michigan and that, you know, that'll do it for the playoff opportunity this year. But if they beat Ohio State. And then lost to Michigan, 
and finished 11 and one, you still could have had a possibility, depending on how some other things play out around the nation to get into the playoffs. So yeah, they still have an opportunity against Michigan and that would be a tremendous win. We'll talk more about that maybe a little bit later on in the podcast and certainly in future weeks. But the bottom line is Penn State with the talent on the roster with Manny Diaz running a phenomenal defense and the defense just played its tail off. I mean, it was so impressive to see what that defense did, keeping the team in the game the whole way. But the offense was just horrendous. Drew Aller was terrible. Mike Yersich, the offensive coordinator, was awful. I mean, the decisions made, the offensive line was not good. The receivers, that's a whole other discussion. I'm going to spend a lot of time on that in the podcast as well. Just every fear or worry or concern you had about Penn State going into the game. Uh, and we've talked about this for weeks. Yeah, this is, this is working against Iowa, this is working against Northwestern. This is working against Illinois. Will this work against Ohio State? Well, it didn't. It didn't. And that's an Ohio State team that Penn State, I think, already has more talent on overall, top to bottom. And then you take away some of Ohio State's better players, and and you're right there. But the best player on the field and the difference maker Marvin Harrison Jr., 11 catches, a buck 62, and a touchdown. Every time they needed a play, they went to him. He's the difference in the game. And so you're, you're to, how frustrating is that for James Franklin and Penn State? You're to a point where you can match Ohio State kind of talent for talent up and down the board and at most positions. You are light years behind that guy at that position and that guy beat you. And so, you bust your tail for 365 days a year recruiting. You're flying your helicopter on Friday nights to high school football games the night before you play, talking to high school kids. You're, you're killing it in recruiting, top five, top 10 class. One guy, one guy takes it to you. You just, you don't have an answer for that guy. You don't, not only do you not have a number one wide receiver on your team, you've got a phenomenal NFL wide receiver on the other team who's just taking it to you. So again, all of this, you add all of it up just to kind of summarize this first segment. This will stick with Penn State for a long, long time because that was a winnable, that was the most winnable game. Uh, not the most, because again, they did win in 16 and they were up two scores in, in 17. Sh- Should have won that. But most for most years, that was as winnable of a game as you're really ever going to get, especially in Columbus. And yet, oh man. All right. So what happens here? Who are we blaming? How much are you pissed off at James Franklin? How much are you ticked off at Mike Yersich? How much blame do you place on Drew Aller? Do you bargain your way around the Drew Aller discussion? and place all the blame on Mike Yersich and the receivers? Do you say Drew Aller is overrated and you've got serious concerns about him given all the hype? We're going to get into all that here in the second segment.
right, welcome back. We're going to play the blame game now. Who all deserves a finger pointed their way for the issues that took place in the loss? Now, we're going to save James Franklin primarily for the third segment and how this impacts him. Uh, came up small once again in a huge game, now one and nine against Ohio State. But how did they lose this game specifically? Why were they not more prepared to do what it would take in this game? Now, look, folks, some of you may think this is beating a dead horse because I've been talking about this for weeks that I did not think Penn State's passing game was very good. I didn't think the wide receivers were very good. They don't attempt shots deep down the field. I get it. Some of you may think I'm just trying to get back at James Franklin for embarrassing me with the, with the poorly worded question. The bottom line is this team's passing game with the former number one quarterback recruit in the country is nowhere near good enough. Nowhere near. So let's start with the wide receivers. Because that really, first and foremost, you you have Marvin Harrison Jr. running loose, getting getting free, making every catch, kind of you know, not single handedly because Ohio State's defense was really good, but you know, single handedly for Ohio State's offense, kind of winning the game. Penn State's receivers, meanwhile, can't get open. There's not a number one receiver on this team. Keandre Lambert Smith uh, is a nice possession receiver. The biggest question going into this season. Was does Penn State have a number one Big Ten receiver? They do not. They've got a nice number two in KLS and then maybe a bunch of number threes. I don't know. Um, but bottom line is the, the receivers are just not good enough to put Drew Aller and the offense in good situations against an opponent like that. So how did Penn State get to that point? Okay. This is a little bit more than just the game. How is it that for a couple of years, you knew you were going to have Drew Aller? You knew you were going to have this superstar, potential superstar talent anyway. And you allowed your program to get to a point where he doesn't have the weapons he needs to reach his potential. So... I mean, the receivers they had for years and years, you know, from Allen Robinson to Chris Godwin and, and KJ Hamler and Jahan Dotson. You know, I didn't, I never quite thought Parker Washington lived up to his potential at Penn State. And it is very unfortunate that Parker Washington, for, for Penn State, it's very unfortunate for this year's Penn State team that Parker Washington decided to turn pro after last season. He was injured. He couldn't work out for teams. He slipped to the fifth round. I think the young man, me personally, you know, hey, he's got to live his life and make his decisions. Me personally, I think he could have benefited from coming back to school another year. And if he were on this team, we might be talking about a Penn State win right now instead of a loss. But he's not. And so how how does the program get to a point where you're just simply that undermanned at an enormously important position while you've got the quarterback that everybody has said you've needed for years. You bring in Dante Cephas. You kind of win the transfer situation there. Dante Cephas has been a non-factor 
I mean, what is, I know he had to stick around Kent State, uh, longer, finished education, academics and everything. He didn't arrive to Penn State until June. Maybe he was further behind, but my goodness, this guy's been in college for four years. He, you know, he should have been able, should have been able to just step in and, and, and acclimate a little bit better, but, you know, he clearly didn't. He's got nine catches this season. Nine. He did have two for 28 against Ohio State, but they were on the last drive when Penn State was already down 20 to six. But Dante Steves has nine catches this year. What happened to Malik McClain? This is a guy that, you know, at least caught some balls at Florida State. He's played college. Has anybody seen him? He dropped a couple against Illinois. I don't, I'm not sure he's been on the field since then. And, and then you've got, you know, Harrison Wallace was hurt. I know that was difficult, but he came back and he had a couple catches for 19 yards against Ohio State. But I mean, what is it with this receiving group and the development? How did the coaches, again, I don't know the answer to this. This is a collective gigantic uh, question mark of how ev- everything that's gone on in the program for the past couple of years, how they got to this point to be as far behind the curve as they need as you know as they are compared to where they would need to be James Franklin fires Taylor Stubblefield after last season hey look we don't know what goes on internally with assistant coaches personalities how they get along with each other how much they're actually working hard doing all the recruiting James demands that everybody recruits at a high who knows exactly what it went on with Taylor Stubblefield but you know, I, I, I kind of thought Taylor Stubbleville did a nice job with Jahan Dotson. Maybe they didn't feel like he was doing a good job developing some other guys. I don't know. But I, I thought that was a pretty questionable move. Then you go out and you hire Marcus Hagens from Virginia. He had a far worse recruiting track record than Taylor Stubblefield. Now, granted, he was trying to recruit at Virginia. I don't know a whole lot about Marcus Hagens and what he does every single day in practice to develop these receivers. But you follow, you connect the dots, you follow the lines of, of just the turmoil that's taken place in this program. The, the receivers coach coming into a season, coming into a season with the five star guy about to be the starting quarterback. You've got turmoil at your wide receiver coach position and you got to fire a guy and bring in somebody else. Have any of these receivers developed this year? Again, KLS is a nice possession receiver. You know, six catches for 52 yards. That's a nice day. You know, six catches on 12 targets. But he wasn't open enough. These other guys weren't open enough. No other wide receiver had more than two catches. Caden Saunders, two for 25. Trey Wallace, two for 19. Liam Clifford, one for seven. Dropped one near the end. Uh, I mean, this is, this is absolutely not going to get the job done against an Ohio State or a Michigan. For as great as the defense was, and look, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the defense on this podcast. Those guys, tip your cap to them. They busted their tail. They deserve to win the game. The offense absolutely let the defense down. I'm not even going to get into how great they did. That part is just so obvious. But when you consider Penn State's receiver situation, they didn't even take shots down the field the first four or five games of the year. It took me asking a question, and again, whether you guys think that I, I messed up the question or not, and everybody got a nice laugh at Geiger's expense and it made all the national networks and, hey, what a buffoon you are. 
I think I think the the genesis behind the question we saw on Saturday of what the problem is. Okay, maybe he didn't. Maybe James Franklin didn't like the way I worded it, but whatever. Where was this connection, rapport, chemistry, working with the wide receivers? Trey Wallace was out for a few weeks, so that is that's that's a tough one. But Dante Cephas, Malik McLean. Where are these guys? Okay. Why aren't we, why didn't we see enough when they're beating the hell out of everybody and starting six and oh and scoring 30 plus points and the defense is number one in the country? You mean to tell me that you're not working every week on what you might need for Ohio State? Somebody asked me a great question in the live cues last Wednesday at DK Pittsburgh Sports about, is it possible, think, think this through here, is it possible that the one and O mentality of just doing what you got to do this week interfered with the game, with them preparing for what they would need against Ohio State? If you put these things together, James has talked about how he had to tell Mike Yurcich, don't get bored with the play calling. Well, you know what? Maybe they should have been trying a hell of a lot more things against Iowa when they're winning 31 to nothing and in the second half against Northwestern when they're pulling away and against Illinois. Where was the development of Drew Aller, the receivers, the passing game? We just didn't see it. And really, it's inexcusable. It, this this whole thing, I, I've been saying for a couple of weeks, you figure out the receiver part, you can win the national title. You don't figure out the receiver part, you go embarrass yourself against Ohio State with one of the worst Penn State offensive performances we've seen. Drew Aller starting 10 for 30, 0 for 15 on third down until they finally got one in garbage time at the end and they drove the field for a touchdown. All of these things, man, these are all connected. What happened from, from point one to point 10 to point 40 to whatever over the last couple of years that how did Penn State get to this point? And again, the whole Taylor Stubblefield thing, you know, it, you look back on it now and you just truly wonder what the hell was going on. Okay. And, you know, how much is Marcus Hagan's developing these guys? They got a lot of good, young, talented guys in the program, but they're not ready to step up on this kind of stage. And if that and if if you can't do that, you know, James has been saying this is who we are. We got to play this style. Well, why? Why? You got to Dante Cephas caught. I need to double check. I think he caught 90 passes a couple years ago. Granted, it's for Kent State. Granted, that's in the Mac. But dude's played college football for four years. He had 82 passes, 82 passes, 1,240 yards uh, back in 2021, nine TDs. I mean, how is it that he steps in with all the hype and he's got nine catches this year? Okay. I, I just, I don't know, man. Maybe Dante Cephas just was nowhere near as good as anybody expected, but. You just think collectively of what's happened and how the receiver scenario impacted what we saw against Ohio State. Now, there's plenty of blame to go around. I know I spent a lot of time on that. Mike Yersich, I thought, had a pretty terrible day. I thought his play calling, uh, you know, they got a couple of nice long runs early in the game. Nick Singleton went off for a couple long runs, a 20-yarder, and I think he had a 16-yarder. So in those two carries, he had 26, he had 36 yards. He finished with 48. Okay, finished with 48 yards on nine carries. Catron, 26 yards on nine carries. They rushed for 49 yards and, you know, averaged three, uh, 1.9 yards per rush. 
and yet Drew Aller's throwing the ball 42 times in a game that's a one-score game with seven and a half minutes to go in the fourth quarter, your first-year starting quarterback, who's 10 for 30 and 0 for 15 on third down as an offense, you got him throwing 42 times when he doesn't have real good receivers against a great defense that's embarrassing you. Where are the running plays? Where's the patience there? You know, I just... What was the strategy? What was the game plan? What what are they trying to accomplish? And yet, you know, you, you start off running the ball pretty decent. And now you end up throwing the ball 42 times. Um, I, again, it, you just scratch your head with a lot of this. The tight ends, you know, Theo Johnson was targeted eight times. He caught two. Tyler Warren was targeted two times. He caught one. See, you targeted the tight ends 10 times. That's good. But Drew was just all over the place. This is where we get into the, is this a receiver problem? Look, the O-line, the O-line didn't help. The old, he, I mean, Drew had faced a lot of pressure, uh, you know, for a, a lot of the, a lot of the plays, but he was not accurate either. And so. I feel for Drew. I was three feet away from him when he kind of teared up in the post game press conference and it hit him hard. He was emotional. I, I respect the young man for that. We haven't seen a lot of players cry over the years. Just a little insight. Daryl, Daryl Clark, uh, shed some tears. I think after the Iowa loss, uh, in 08, um, I remember Trace McSorley shedding some tears once. Um, uh, I, I, I remember Deshaun Hamilton got pretty beat up after the pit loss in 2016 when he dropped the ball late in the game. But you don't see a lot of football players, you know, tear up or, or anything like that. And Drew did. And, and that's, and that's raw human emotion. And he's a good dude and he's a poised and polished guy. And, you know, he's very talented, but he doesn't have the receivers for him to reach his potential. The offensive line. Did not protect him well enough. And he just didn't throw the ball well enough. He panics, man. He's got happy feet in the pocket. Kind of slow down. So, you know, some of you are going to break down every single frame of every single play. I'm not doing all that, but I went back and watched a bunch of the replays and he, his feet are moving. You know, he's kind of throwing a little bit off of a wrong foot. He's some of it's because he's, he's being forced and rushed and everything like that. But technically, technically, I think Drew Aller has a lot of issues. Okay. And so, you add all this stuff up and it's it's very very concerning now can they can they score 30 points and beat everybody else on the schedule pretty bad except for ohio state and michigan well yeah a lot of times because the big 10 sucks this year other than penn state ohio state and michigan maryland maybe we'll see and that maryland game could be interesting but penn state's defense is so good they're going to shut you down and give the offense all kinds of opportunities but this was fool's gold. All of these offensive numbers that we've seen and all these points that they score, this was fool's gold. This was hey, a byproduct of the defense putting you in situations, and you could afford to be methodical and go up and down the field because you couldn't, you just weren't good enough to do it any other way. And so, again, just just a really, really abysmal offensive performance. They did have a late scoring drive that changed some of the numbers and made the numbers a little bit better. What they went, uh, uh, 12 plays, 73 yards on that late touchdown drive, taking over with 241 to go. So uh, they finished with 240 yards, 73 or on that last 
that, that last drive. So again, hats off to the defense. Those guys gave this team every opportunity. The offense just highly, highly suspect and why they didn't get it figured. I'm sure. Believe me, folks. I know that I kind of hit a nerve with James talking about the stuff. He can claim that he didn't know what I was talking about, but yet in then videos and practices over the past couple of weeks, it's showing James, you know, say, throw it deep. You know, they're, they, they understand and they, they're, I'm sure they're sensitive to the fact that they see it in practice. They, they have to know as coaches what their wide receivers are and are not. They have to know that maybe, maybe Drew's just not real good at throwing the deep ball connecting with guys right now. I mean, he is a first year starter. That's a, that's a skill. Just because he can throw it 70 yards doesn't mean he can hit a guy accurately on the run in a tight window 50 yards down the field. You know, some guys, Trace McSorley was just great at that, at that. You know, some guys aren't. And so you just put all these things together and it just really, really has to be frustrating uh, for all you folks, the fans who, got caught up in this fool's gold thinking that maybe the team was good enough to to go into Ohio State and do the job, and yet clearly the offensive performance was just alarming. I mean, alarming. We're going to get into James Franklin, his legacy coming up in a second. Welcome to the third and final segment of the We Are podcast. James Franklin was asked after the game by Dave Jones from Penn Live um, the big picture question of you know he's had success at Penn State, uh, but the struggle in this kind of game and, and his his legacy, the way he's viewed uh, in, in a certain way because of the struggles against Ohio State versus you know maybe the other successes that he's had and James did say he understood the question and and James is smart he he understands what we're asking even if you ask him about deep passing it he understands what you're asking and he didn't want to get into it after a game he wanted to focus on the game and that's understandable I've had several people say that they didn't think it was an appropriate question after the game. Well, hell yeah, it's an appropriate question after the game that's because that's what all of you are thinking you're thinking that James Franklin, is kind of a fraud uh, that he wins a whole bunch of games against teams they should beat. And then when it comes to the big games, he finds a way to lose. This has dogged James for many years. Now one and eight against Ohio state and, you know, finds a way. I'll talk about the fourth down play here in a second, but just finds a way in games to do things. And it makes you wonder, you know, how successful, you know, how good of a coach he really is. Now Penn state's going to finish 10 and two. They're going to lose to Michigan, I believe. And I think they're going to go 10 and two and they're going to go to the Orange Bowl, maybe, or, or some other great bowl for a chance at a great matchup. Last year, the, the Rose Bowl, uh, a Utah team that we thought was good. I think they were overrated. Penn State wins a Rose Bowl, 10 and two, no wins over ranked teams last year. And so a lot of people felt great about last year coming off of 2020 and 2021. So you go 10 and two, even though they lost Ohio State and Michigan, even though they blew a fourth quarter lead against Ohio State, went 10 and two and won the Rose Bowl. You can hang your hat on that. This team could go 10 and two, go to say the Orange Bowl or Sugar Bowl or wherever, 
what I, I'm not, I'm not even sure if the Sugar Bowl is in the playoff or not, but a, a great bowl game. Maybe they win that. Maybe they get a marquee opponent and they win that game and you're 11 and two and they can say, Hey, 11 and two top 10, top 15 ranking. Look what we've done. James Franklin, look at the success. And he clearly has done a lot of good things there. Can't beat Ohio State. Now, a lot of years, Ohio State's just been better than them, had more talent than them, but not this year. That's why I go back to the beginning of what I said of the podcast. James Franklin's going to kick himself over this game forever. Deep down in his heart, not even deep down, on the surface, James Franklin knows he has a better team than Ohio State. I, I, I believe that. At least, yeah, you know, that's his feeling, his interpretation of it. Especially with the Buka not playing, Travion Henderson not playing. James Franklin's got to be sitting there saying, "How the hell did we lose that game? How the hell did we lose that game? They had one good player on offense." Now, mine Williams did have 62 yards rushing. That was, but Marvin Harrison, you know, it's not like Kyle McCord was great. He was kind of all over the place. If, if he didn't have Marvin Harrison, what's Ohio State doing offensively? James Franklin's got to be kicking himself because he knows he let a gigantic opportunity slip away. And that's why I think he panicked in the fourth quarter with seven and a half minutes to go on fourth down uh, around, I think they were at the 43-yard line in his own tear, and he went for it. You know what? Um, that, I know some of you like the decision. Be aggressive. You weren't scoring. But there were seven and a half minutes to go. Your defense is playing great. Punt it. Pin them at the 15. Try to get a three and out. You get the ball right back at your own 40 with first down and four and a half, five minutes to go. Okay. So, you know, that, that, that decision to me screamed of panic of James Franklin pushing the panic button, knowing that he, he's under pressure and he's trying to make something happen. So to me, I just didn't like it. But more importantly, and this goes back to a lot of the stuff in the second segment, more importantly than that is I truly have to wonder how much James Franklin has meddled too much into the offense this year and did not allow Mike Yersich to develop Drew Aller and the passing game the way it needed to be developed. When you've got James flat out admitting he's got to remind Mike Yersich to not get bored, what does that mean? That means he's telling him to run boring, short plays to control the clock to beat Illinois and Northwestern and UMass and all of that stuff. Now, UMass, they did take some chances down, some shots down the field. But why weren't you working on Ohio State prep when you had double digit three, four touchdown leads in those games? Why aren't you running plays that you know you would need against Ohio State? Why stay boring? Why have 14 play drives if you need to work on it? Well, 
you don't work on these things. And one analyst, one of the one of the numerous analysts around the country that decided it was fun to rip the hell on Corey Guy. You don't work on things in games. You work on them in practice. Give me a break, man. You're up three and four touchdowns in these games. Your defense is number one in the country. You've you've not been threatened hardly at all by any offense all season. You can work on things in games. You you can. All right. Don't give me that nonsense. And they didn't. And I just wonder if that is James interjecting himself into the offense and trying to keep things developing slowly. In fairness, got I'll point this out. If that Curtis Jacobs fumble return for a touchdown holds up, I might not be doing a 35 or 40 minute podcast here on just how frustrating and disappointing all of this was. If they score a touchdown there for a 10 to three lead, who knows, man? I think Ohio State still would have come back and, and won the game. They would have, they would have figured it out. But, you know, that's, that's football for you. And Kalen King did hold some of you. Or, or upset because you might have seen something else from Ohio State on that play or, or, you know, other plays that weren't called. And those, those, that's, that's what happens in games with officiating. But I just truly wonder, is this the offense Mike Yersich truly has been wanting to run versus his hands are tied and he's got to do it James's way. And then James's way leads to an embarrassing offensive showing because you're just not ready to play. I'm not letting Mike Yurcich off the hook. Some of his play calling was awful. Maybe he pan again. I'll flip it. Maybe he should have been running more after the early success instead of having Drew Aller throw it fit 42 times. So again, do we know all the inner workings of, of how this played out? Who Who's making every single decision and, and is James signing off on this? Is James on the on the headphones t- telling Mike or or whatever you know do this here? That we we just don't know. But James is now one and nine against Ohio State. It's absolutely a fair question about can he win big games because Penn State is going to go to the playoff a lot, a lot starting next year with a twelve team playoff. Penn State's going to be in the twelve team field. A whole bunch. James Franklin's going to have a lot of success. He's going to win 10 games a lot of years. Maybe that includes a loss to either Ohio State or Michigan. You're not going to play both of them anymore after next year or starting next year. Maybe I think it helps Penn State with USC. My goodness, USC is so soft sometimes. You know, you watch them and uh, Oregon, USC, Washington, Washington really struggled against Arizona State Saturday night. A one in five Arizona State team coming into that game. I think Penn State's going to be okay against Washington, Oregon, UCLA. USC will cause some problems sometimes, but. Penn State can go 10 and 2 and make the playoff basically every year. So James is going to get in the playoff and he's going to have numerous opportunities to win playoff games. And at some point he's going to win one or two or so. And he's going to say, Hey, look, see, I did win a big game and I'm not writing off James Franklin that he's never going to have, uh, never going to reach a higher level of success at Penn State. Because again, once they get into a playoff, it's kind of a crapshoot. Right, who's healthy at the end of the year? Do you catch some, you get a good matchup maybe and, and you can advance to the final four. There are chances for James Franklin to have an even greater legacy at Penn State. But right now, his legacy is he can't win big games. Can he win a big game on November 11th against Michigan? He has a chance to immediately in a few weeks to 
uh, rewrite the nar- narrative a little bit. I think Michigan's significantly better than Ohio State. So I think Michigan's going to come, but it's a Beaver Stadium and that's going to be a challenge. And Penn State's defense is going to be, be ready to go, you would think. So uh, again, when you, you think about James, what was at stake? Probably feeling like he had a better team, knowing Ohio State was shorthanded with some injuries. He's going to kick himself forever uh, over that loss because that was I keep saying it folks that was a very winnable game and you can't you can't say that too often about matchups against Ohio State all right that's all I got that's all the griping and blame game I've got there's plenty to go around for a lot of folks um, and we'll have some follow-ups throughout the week as coaches and uh, players Talk about moving on and one and no mentality and focusing on Indiana, but they're favored by 30 points. So they'll destroy them and all will be right in the world, you know, for, for a lot of people. But you know what? We looked, we looked forward to the Ohio State game for a couple of years and we knew what was at stake. And they went out there and blew it. And they're going to have to live with that. And that's going to be frustrating to every member of that Penn State team forever. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll talk to you again next week. 